Yesterday, January the 8th, the last of China's zero COVID measures were unwound, a process that started last month. And the impact of ending the relentless lockdowns and mass testings has been a massive spike in COVID infection in the country. And headlines around travel restrictions and testing have prompted a queasy sense of deja vu. The chief of the World Health Organization says he's very concerned about the increase in cases of COVID-19 in China. Germany has joined a growing list of countries to impose mandatory COVID tests on travelers from China. The EU pushed back against China's unwinding of its COVID measures, backing the introduction of pre-flight tests across the block and searching for new variants coming out of China. China responded that the restrictions lack a scientific basis. Irish Times China correspondent Dennis Staunton is in Beijing and he'll be telling us what does it mean for China, its president and the rest of the world. I'm Bernice Harrison and this is In the News from the Irish Times. So, Dennis, could you just take us through what has the unwinding of the zero COVID policy looked like? Well, really from the beginning, so for about three years, China had this zero COVID policy where they tried to stop the spread of COVID altogether. And they did that through a combination of mass testing and of isolation, testing, tracing, isolation and quarantine. And this was very effective in two ways. One is that it kept the number of infections very low and very few people died of COVID in those first three years. But it also meant that China was able to reopen its economy. So for most of 2020 and 2021, when the rest of the world or much of the rest of the world was going in and out of lockdowns, China was actually operating pretty normally. People were going to restaurants, people were meeting and people were functioning. But What happened then uh, towards the end of 2022 was that you saw the spread of the Omicron variant in China and it became, it, it was spreading very, very fast and it became more and more difficult for the uh, zero COVID policy to be effective because you were having all of these outbreaks that were, uh, you know, despite testing everybody and quarantining people. And at the same time, after three years of all of this, it had become a huge burden because although the economy had been able to function, it hadn't been able to function uh, to the optimum extent. And so, for example, it was very much cut off from the rest of the world or China was cut off from the rest of the world in lots of ways and very little travel in or out. And so there was pressure for a number of reasons to start opening up. And what happened then was that there was a series of protests, both street demonstrations, but also people at a very local level, say in their buildings, refusing to obey these new rules if they were being told to lock down. And so immediately after that, so uh, in early December, the government announced that it was modifying the policy. And effectively what it did was it scrapped everything. All of the restrictions, you no longer had to get tested, show evidence of testing to go anywhere. And as a result of that, or at the same time, the COVID virus has ripped through the major cities of China. And you arrived in China in the autumn when zero COVID policy was absolutely there. What's your life like now? 
So it's extraordinary because just coming back, I had been away in Europe for a few weeks and came back just after Christmas. When I left, Zero COVID was still in operation. And everywhere you went, you had to show your, a code on your phone to show that you'd been tested negative within the last 48 hours. And uh, there were restrictions on your movement everywhere. All of that was gone. You know, I did have to go into quarantine for a few days when I arrived in a quarantine hotel. And then after that, I was supposed to have to do three days self isolation. But they, uh, I just got this form saying actually I had to do none. Zero. So they obviously just sort of unofficially have scrapped that part of the policy. And then the first thing I did was got into a taxi and didn't have to scan the code, didn't... You but know, you wore every- a mask, did you? Everybody wears masks everywhere, including okay. outdoors. The masking is still very much the case. So what really has happened is that you know, Beijing has come back to life. What happened during December was that basically everybody got COVID. And everybody I know who uh, in China, most of whom had never met anybody who had ever had COVID. People had been vaccinated, but it was just that nobody had had COVID. And because there was very little COVID around the place, and people would say to you, do you know anybody who's ever had COVID? And, uh, and obviously everybody that we know has, but they didn't know anybody. Now, all of those people, every single one of them has had COVID. And for, in most cases, they went through it in about a week. Some people have, are still very nervous, those people who haven't had it, people who are a bit older. In Beijing, people gathered to sled or ice skate on a frozen lake in the city on Sunday, nearly a month after China dropped stringent zero-COVID measures to adopt a strategy of living with the virus. A wave of infections has since erupted nationwide. State broadcaster CCTV reported on Monday that frontline medical staff are working around the clock to treat COVID-19 patients. We're hearing here about, you know, hospitals being overwhelmed. We're hearing the sort of stories that we heard, you know, in Europe about hospitals at the start of COVID. We're hearing that about China now. Is that the case? I went to three hospitals yesterday in Beijing, and in most of them, they appeared to be operating fairly normally. They looked like a kind of any sort of busy hospital in any capital city in the world. In one, a big hospital that I went to, the emergency room was absolutely packed with people, and there were people on trolleys wrapped in blankets, people connected to oxygen tanks, and that was quite a distressing scene. A few weeks ago, if you went into a hospital in uh, Beijing, they were absolutely overwhelmed. Uh, the smaller hospitals, which would normally, like community hospitals, which would normally see patients and send anybody who was seriously ill off to a bigger hospital, they weren't able to send people to the bigger hospitals because the bigger hospitals just couldn't take them. A doctor in one of the bigger teaching hospitals was saying that there were trolleys in all of the corridors. It was just so difficult to, to, to see all the people. And that there were people of all ages who were coming in presenting during those weeks in the middle of December. Now it's changed completely so that everybody who's there, who's coming in with serious illness, they're people over 70, they almost always have underlying health conditions. One doctor was saying that you had, say, in the middle of December, maybe four or five or six people dying every day. Now it's back down to maybe one or two every couple of days, every two or three days. Mm. A nurse in another hospital was saying that actually the number of people dying generally in the hospital is back down to where it was before the beginning of December of last year. Now, uh, right here uh, in Beijing, things are pretty good. But then Beijing is the capital city. It's got a very good healthcare system by Mm. comparison with other parts of China. I think the problem is going to be 
over the next few weeks, as so many people are going to travel across China for Chinese New Year, they will bring the virus with them. And they'll be bringing it to places where the hospitals are much more threadbare, and particularly in parts of rural China, where you're going to have uh, old people who have not been vaccinated, and they will struggle, I think, to deal with it. Now, what they have been doing is they've been setting up, they've been stepping up the vaccination, and they've set up all kinds of uh, local health operations. And, the, and so the authorities have been moving to try to prepare for what's about to happen in the next few weeks. But I still think that there, you know, there could be a rough few weeks ahead. So therefore, is there sort of a, a disconnect, if you like, with what's happening in response to this in terms of China? Because we saw the EU last week saying, look, you know, we really think that there should be tests for passages coming from China. The draft opinion sets out a number of measures uh, which we would like to see member states putting in place. These include measures on personal hygiene and health measures for travellers, uh, including recommended mask wearing on flights from China. It will also include things such as wastewater monitoring for aircrafts, genomic surveillance at airports, and increased monitoring and sequencing. Increased EU vigilance on testing and vaccination. That's about ensuring we have our own immunity levels as high as they can be. And then we also propose a, a discussion on the need for pre-testing of passengers from China prior to departure. And this is something which we saw the overwhelming majority of countries are in favour of. That speaks to a massive lack of trust on the part of the EU um, with what if what is coming out of China. Well, I think there are two things happening here. One is, of course, that the uh, you know, while the virus has spread through a lot of the major cities, it still has a way to go. And over the next few weeks, a lot of Chinese people are going to be returning home for the Spring Festival, Chinese New Year. And that's likely to bring the virus to all kinds of other places, smaller cities, rural areas, where the healthcare infrastructure is much uh, less robust. So I think we, you know, this story has not uh, been completely told yet, mm. and we don't know the extent of the damage that's going to happen. I think where the lack of trust is concerned, there's a, a certain amount of suspicion on both sides. But but part of the problem is that uh, the China's Chinese authorities have, from time to time, been a bit sparing with the details <laughs> of exactly you know what's going on. Having said all of that, the European Centre for Disease Control and Prevention this week said that. As far as they could determine, all of the variants that are circulating in China have already been circulating in Europe. And so there is no so evidence... no mystery variant coming down there, the pike, you know? Well, I don't know but I mean, about the future, but what I'm saying is that these uh, people and these, you know, these European epidemiologists are saying that there is no evidence of any new variants in China that have not been seen. So that's, uh, you know, as of now. I think the other problem is that the Chinese authorities change their methodology in terms of how they describe people dying with COVID or of COVID or associated with COVID. So some of the statistics are just hard to read. But I think there is, you know, the, the, the problem that you identify as a real one, that there's a problem of trust. There's also a problem, I think, of sensitivity. So, for example, uh, the business of testing people before they travel. Every traveler coming to China must show uh, evidence of a negative test 48 hours before traveling. But that's for every country. What upsets the Chinese is that these are measures that are being applied specifically to them and to them alone. Mm. And that's what they feel is uh, disproportionate and they don't like. But, uh, you know, but the business of actually requiring a test is kind of no big deal in the sense that 
it's what uh, it's what China requires itself. Can we talk, Dennis, just a bit about timing? Look, COVID restrictions had to be unwound. You know, they can't go on forever. So it had to happen at some time, obviously. Is there a link or is there a perceived link in China between the demonstrations against the zero COVID policy that we saw in November? We saw all these young people demonstrating on the streets. I don't know if we've seen that. You know, and how does that reflect on the president? Are people saying, oh, OK, is there a cause and effect here? Again, more worrying for the Communist Party. I think uh, there is a link between the uh, demonstrations and the lifting, uh, you know, the timing of the lifting and, the, and the, the speed with which it happened. There, I think, were a few factors uh, coming into it. There were economic pressures. As you say, you have to lift these things at some stage. And so it was, and I think also just the nature of this particular variant, it was just becoming impossible to control. And so the zero COVID measures weren't working. And so that was one reason to lift it. I think it was lifted more quickly, probably because of uh, the pressure from below. And that was not just the street demonstrations, but just this kind of passive resistance in a way as well. And so I think that's one thing in terms of how and why it was done. I think it's uh, perhaps I'd be uh, more careful about suggesting that this is necessarily a threat to the authority of the Communist Party or of Xi Jinping as the leader. He just received a third term in October and he's put a leadership team in place which is entirely composed of his own people. There are no more factions, rival factions within the leadership They're all very much his people. So I think, you know, there isn't really any sign of the authority of the Communist Party of China being undermined because of this. There are all kinds of reasons why people in China, some people are unhappy with the Communist Party and with the way their you know, their lives have been over the last few years. And this may be another one uh, to, you know, to add to that list. But I just, I think that you asked about cause and effect. I don't think you could make, I think we should be perhaps a little cautious about getting carried away into the consequence of, of what happens. Because one of the consequences of what has happened is that a lot of people are much happier because they are free to go out and about their business. And mm. that, you know, it's, and, and what again, we don't know. I mean, it does appear, say, in Beijing at least, that uh, although a few weeks ago, there were a lot of people getting ill and some people uh, dying, that this appears to have subsided for now. And the level of illness and death appears not to be quite at the level that it was in the early stages of the pandemic in Western Europe and in the United States. So I think that like, while this is certainly, there's going to be a price for opening up in terms of human life and illness. Nonetheless, it may be that that price or that that number is, mm. is one that people consider to be within the bounds of reasonableness. So therefore, is it accepted or is it widely thought that in fact zero COVID was the right policy? You know, if you remember at the start of the uh, at the start of the pandemic, all countries were grappling around to try to figure out a policy how how to contain the virus or what to do, let it run rip, contain, vaccinate, whatever. Is there a feeling then that actually they did the right thing? I think there's a feeling that the zero COVID policy was a good policy which was successful for a while, but it went on too long. 
And so it was successful at saving life and it was successful at uh, preventing infections. It's very important to look at the figures. And the figures from China, the, the official figures, and those ex are accepted by the WHO, was that up to the beginning of December last year, that something like 5,500 people had died of COVID in China, compared to over a million in America. Was that credible, though, Dennis? I mean, well, I mean, it, it, it could be seven thousand, it could be ten thousand. But the point, but, is, but what, what is credible and what is clear is that, as I said to you, almost nobody in China knew anyone who had COVID. So if you didn't have it, yeah. it's hard to die from it. So I think, in that <laughs> yeah. sense, it probably is uh, pretty clear that a huge number of people didn't die during that time that might have died if a different policy had happened. So in that sense, I think there is a sense that the policy was, you know, had its merits. But I think there's a very, very broad consensus that it went on too long and that they didn't use the time perhaps as well as they should have in, say, in the last year or so to get the, the medical system ready to improve the level of vaccination in the older people. The problem is that Almost everybody in China is vaccinated, but the people who are least likely to be vaccinated are the very old because they don't want to take the vaccine. Why? And there are a few reasons. One is they're suspicious of uh, vaccinations. And the other is that uh, there was no COVID around. So why would you need to be vaccinated? You were being tested all the time. And are people nervous now? Do you feel nervous that this COVID's swirling around? Do you feel nervous? I don't personally, but some people do. And I've certainly met some people. Somebody I was talking to yesterday was saying she can't go home for the the spring festival for Chinese New Year because her mother and father don't want her in the house because they haven't had COVID. She has. See, that is so reminiscent, Dennis. That that throws us all back, doesn't it? To like, you know, 2021. This woman was saying to me that she had gone to see her mother the other day and the father wouldn't allow her into the house. So she had to stand outside talking to the mother inside, which again is the kind of thing that used to happen. Exactly. Two or three yeah. years ago. Okay. You know, we've been focused on, you know, the, tr the travel restrictions uh, and uh, that are being imposed. But, but what does the lifting of zero COVID restrictions in China mean for the world, really? Well, the first thing it means for the world is that the Chinese economy is about to get going again. And uh, what I'm just talking even over the last couple of weeks to business people in London and in other parts of Europe, they're all get, an awful lot of them are getting ready to pile back into China again. And so I think what you will see is uh, if you have uh, you know, a bit of an uplift in the Chinese economy, that accounts for a huge amount of any kind of growth in the world economy. And so that will have two effects, one of which is a good effect, and that is that it helps to lift everybody else. It, you know, it, it helps with supply chains. It helps generally with the prosperity of the rest of the world. The downside of it is that it will mean that China will be consuming more energy at a time when, because of the war in Ukraine, uh, there's a crunch on energy and energy prices are high. So, so I think there's, you know, those are the, are the downsides. But I think that generally speaking, that the, the first effect for the world is going to be a fairly benign economic effect of the Chinese economy rebounding. A second effect, I think, which you've seen already, and even before the opening up, is that uh, Xi Jinping has been opening up to the rest of the world. He's been meeting a lot of other world leaders. There's been more dialogue between 
Beijing and Washington than there, than there has been. That relationship has been extremely difficult over the last few years, and it remains difficult. But they're talking now at government level. That's the other thing that you will see is China back out into the world. And that will have different effects. One is that China will be more assertive, once again, about its interests in international forums. But then it also gives an opportunity, I think, for more dialogue and for trouble that's brewing in terms of uh, of tensions between China and, say, the EU as well as uh, the United States, for really trying to just keep those tensions within certain bounds and to keep the uh, competition between these powers within limits so that it doesn't escalate accidentally into some kind of a conflict that wouldn't be in anyone's interests. Finally, Dennis, can I ask you that it seems to me that the last, you know, plank of the zero COVID strategy was Chinese citizens couldn't really travel abroad. So from January 8th, they can now apply for visas and they can now travel. So we're going to see an upsurge in uh, Chinese tourists. Do you get a sense in talking to people in Beijing, talking to your Chinese friends, that there is a pent up demand to get out of China in the way that when we could start all start travelling here, we were all desperate to get off the island. Is there a sense of that? I think that's actually the first sense is just of getting out. So I think there is kind of, it's happened so quickly, getting out of the house, getting out, <laughs> you know, going to okay. another another part of China, actually, even okay. just going, like even traveling within China. So I mean, there are certainly people, you know, the people who are, who are most desperate to get out of China in a way are the foreigners, many oh. of whom, uh, you know, have not left the country for three years because they were afraid that they wouldn't be able to get back in again. But I think that certainly you will see a return to Chinese tourism which is going to be very important for a lot of the world, particularly the the countries close to China, places like Thailand, but also to parts of Europe. And so I think that's, I think, yeah, there, there is certainly a great enthusiasm for getting back to into life again. Well, look, thanks very much, Dennis, for telling, giving us the rundown of what's happening in Beijing and China. Stay Thank well. Thank you. And that's all from us today on the In the News podcast. The next episode is on Wednesday.